Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about movies and hip-hop. Where do these two art forms intersect? What are the different ways that movies have sought to represent hip-hop music and culture over the past three or four decades? And what makes for a great hip-hop movie? Uh, So this conversation was inspired by a new movie called The Land, that's playing at the Bowtie Criterion Theater down in, uh, on Temple Street in New Haven. So I think that uh, my, my guest for the show today, Lucy Galman, station manager at WNHHLP and staff writer for the New Haven Independent, we're going to talk a bit about the land, our, our thoughts on the movie, whether we think it's a, a hip-hop movie at all, let alone a, a successful hip-hop movie, and then we'll talk a bit more broadly about uh, the intersections of these two art forms. But first, I want to welcome... Lucy Gelman, somewhat impromptu on on this show. Thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to come to the movie and and talk about it on air. Hey Tom, I will. Uh, I'll always be your impromptu fallback <laughs> guest. I'm well, happy you, to do it. You were a planned guest as well, but we were planning on having a couple of other uh, <laughs> lo- local rappers as well. So if you could put on those hats too, that would be okay. Much obliged. So the land is a new movie by first time director Stephen Capel Jr. And it is about four teenagers from a pretty depressed neighborhood of Cleveland, Ohio called Tremont. And the movie basically tracks their striving to overcome anarchic street violence, uh, pretty desperate poverty, and low expectations that come from all angles, from people at school, from parents, from friends, uh, that just seems to ooze from the walls of their neighborhood. They are kind of bred to be trapped um, and I think it's interesting to talk about whether these kids feel trapped, whether the movie represents these kids as feeling trapped, or whether this is a community that they grew up in, that they know, that they, if not love, they have come to admire certain aspects about it in, in parallel with aspects of themselves. Um, but so the movie's about these four teenagers from Tremont in Cleveland, Ohio. They're disillusioned with the school system training them to be manual laborers and with family lives crumbling under poverty and addiction. And they find solace in skateboarding, which gives them a taste of the mobility and physical freedom they so lack in other aspects of their lives. But, of course, skateboarding costs money. Uh, the admission fees to compete in various skateboard competitions, uh, which is one thing they do not have. So the rest of the movie tracks the various ways that they seek to earn money, from carjacking to selling drugs to gangbanging uh, to outright murder, and ultimately describes a life of meager opportunities, low expectations, and imminent violence. So Lucy, I, I know there's a lot to this movie besides that bleak arc of violence. I was kind of hinting about it at, at the top, how this is about a group of friends. This is a coming of age story of sorts. Uh, with the skateboarding, there's certainly a lot of, uh, if not levity, there certainly graceful moments when these kids really get to explore you know, their own physical space and really play around in a way that they're not able to another realms of their life. But let's start with that kind of violent arc aspect. Did you think this movie offered an honest and truthful portrait of what these particular kids or many, you know, black and brown kids throughout America face in often overlooked neighborhoods and cities? Or did you find this uh, only and maybe overwhelmingly upsetting? Was this too dark of a movie for you to really respond in any other way besides just feeling uh, in the dumps. Well, I, I actually, I really don't think those two are mutually exclusive categories, especially when you're talking about a movie like this. 
I think, um, you know, it reminded me of something I talked about in college. So I grew up in the Midwest in Detroit, which is a very Rust Belt city, and then went to school in St. Louis, which is another Rust Belt city. And of course, this takes place in Cleveland, which is very, very much cut of the same uh, rusty cloth, if you will. And one thing we talked about in a public art class of all all places um, was not just graffiti, but this idea of the Midwestern aesthetic. And, you know, in this post-industrial, in, in states and cities that are um, dominated by the lack of industry that made them booming in the early to mid-20th century, is there such a thing as like a, a Midwestern aesthetic? And I think in that way, this film is a very successful tableau of that. It captures that feeling in these four boys, both their sort of immeasurable joy when they're just able to skate through wide open spaces and and to look at the land around them as anything other than just totally dilapidated. Um, but I think it, it also captures the desperation. You know, at one point they're talking about how they wish that they could just go out to something like San Francisco, California and ride their skateboards in San Francisco, California. And you know at that point that these boys will never be able to afford a flight out of Cleveland. And that's heartbreaking. I mean, it's it's really, really heartbreaking. I think it, it was very upsetting. I found it emotionally exhausting because it's very hard for me to watch movies uh, as as well as pieces of theater with gun violence and with death, especially when we're talking about young people and young men of, of color who are dying. But um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a fairly accurate portrait of life in Cleveland for four young men who are feeling really upset about the fact that they don't have career prospects that maybe they wanted. I think one of the, I, I think those are great points. I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the specificity of the Cleveland location. And that's something that the director has spoken about a lot, how he has seen hip hop movies um, movies depicting you know issues in in urban areas about New York, set in Chicago, set in Los Angeles, uh, but nothing in Cleveland, let alone this type of Rust Belt kind of post-industrial kind of abandoned Middle America. And I think that New Haven, with its you know industry, its industrial past kind of in its wake, um, and its various abandoned warehouses or Something you know, I think of like the English power plant could be a perfect setting for mm-hmm. uh, a scene in um, in in the land. I think that that type of landscape resonates a bit with the type of city that we live in, and the way that these the movie and these kids take advantage of that kind of open, abandoned urban space. It lends itself perfectly to the act of skateboarding. I mean, it makes so so much sense that that is the way that they are able to achieve a level of physical freedom or at least mobility and exploration. It's always contained within this constructed urban architecture, this abandoned urban architecture, but they, they make it their own um, in the same way that, you know, I'm thinking about other uh, hip hop movies that deal a lot with graffiti and the way that kids use graffiti to take something that is preexisting to take the home in which they, you know, grew up the city that is huge and ever expanding, but theirs. And to to leave their mark on it, and I think that skateboarding allows for something similar. But to tell, I mean, one thing that I really admired about this movie, and I think also made it a very difficult watch, is how it described something that we talk about a lot in the media, which is the cycle of violence. This very difficult cycle to break, where you are born into a a life that seems to be uh, inextricably destined for um, for 
poverty, for meager you know, economic opportunities, for drug abuse, for violence. And this movie tries to describe with empathy and understanding and neither vilifying nor glorifying this type of quote-unquote, maybe gangster lifestyle. There's nothing glorious about this gangster lifestyle. And we can talk about how that appears in Empire, which is another very popular right. <laughs> hip-hop series. But this is not a soap opera. This is a very, you know, gritty, real drama. And I think that it, the way that it describes the drug dealer is just another occupation in this pretty desperate ecosystem where some kids become mechanics, some become factory workers, and some become drug dealers. And the tragedy of, you know, the way that many of you know, these neighborhoods and cities across America have been abandoned is that that is the reality for a lot of these kids. It's not out of some innate moral turpitude. It's because these are the opportunities presented to them. These are the slots that they feel like they can fill and that, that they do fill. Um, so that, I, you know, it's, I feel like we often talk about movies that are difficult to watch. You know, our experience of a movie, watching it in the theater and then thinking about it after. And this is definitely one that after leaving the theater, you know, I think I've been thinking a lot about not just my, you know, emotional reaction to the bleakness of it, but also what is this saying about the, um, the type of a, I don't know, I don't know if escape is the right word because I'm not sure if it's, that's necessarily the solution. If it's trying to transcend these really awful, um, situations that these kids find themselves in from birth, did that, and it did, did its depiction of that cycle of violence and poverty, was it not, not just convincing, but it, did it help you? I mean, I remember one of your critiques leaving the movie theater was that you thought that this movie didn't necessarily say anything new. And I'm not sure if it, it has to, but is that still the way that you feel about the, the core of it? I, do, I don't think it has to say anything new. But I don't think it specifically moves the dialogue forward. And I don't know if that was ever the filmmaker's prerogative. But when I think about a movie like Spike Lee's Chirac, which I also have very complicated feelings about, um, you know, that we saw either at the end of last year or at the beginning of this year, that's a, a very different piece. And it, it, sort of the conversation around it unravels in a very different way. I I think this film for me was just it was emotionally physically and spiritually exhausting and and so maybe my unwillingness to interact with it afterwards um you know it is more my my issue than the film's issue um if if someone came to me and said i'm looking for uh an interesting and accurate tableau of the troubled ecosystem in which many of our american cities find themselves i would say okay see see this um, and, and I'm going to fight you on the uh, the universality of it, because I do think that the film and the filmmaking specifically does something that is relatable, but uniquely Midwestern in that these buildings, so buildings in the Midwest especially, are made to be explicitly on the scale of the car. And I think there's something really interesting that happens when you uh, you do some filming from the level of a skateboard and some filming from the level of a car. And we're introduced to these kids as they're using their skateboards as, uh, as mechanisms of violence against cars and against drivers in this city. So, so in that way, and in the way that, you know, they're interacting with abandoned buildings in which cars were manufactured probably at, at some point in which people were using their hands to build things on assembly lines. I mean, that for me was, was very, very reminiscent of, 
kind of driving through Detroit and, and growing up in that way. I, without a doubt. I think you are spot on in that, this, again, this is a movie specific to the Midwest, specific to Cleveland, but I do think that that, that post-industrial um, nature and also the kind of bleak and meager job opportunities are not just um, you know relegated to Cleveland, but affect cities all over the country. But oh, yeah, I agree I, that the I way that with those that. problems manifest themselves in Cleveland is um, uniquely represented in this movie. And I love how you talk about built at the scale of the car because another aspect of these kids riding around on skateboards is that it implies that these kids, and they can they can really only explore the city on wheels. You have to be on wheels to understand the neighborhood, to understand the different, we get a lot of different neighborhoods in mm-hmm. Cleveland. We get uh, the this neighborhood of Tremont where they grow up. We get a, a carnival sequence. We get this um, covered market, the, the kind of upscale market where one of the, uh, maybe surprising drug kingpins works out of. We get this luxury high rise. I mean, this movie does, I think in, in only an hour and a half, it does a good job of describing all of the different communities and different economic kind of strata that exists within a city. But I do I want to push back a, a bit against um, too clinical of an understanding of this movie, because I know I set that up as to, you know this describing a, a cycle of violence, but it's also a very deeply felt and lived-in movie with characters that I think are pretty um, beautifully described, and each kind of has a grace note, no matter how based their situation is. I'm thinking of Erica Badu's character, Turquoise, who plays a, a prostitute who is addicted to a number of drugs, but even she um, gets a moment where she's filling in a coloring book with her kid, uh, right before the grandmother comes to take her away to see some fireworks on the Fourth of July, and this character that we had, you know, been trained to see only in one way as a complete victim and also perpetuating the just kind of decrepitude of this neighborhood, you know, comes off just like everyone else as a real person struggling, but with family, with friends, with emotions, um, and the way that these different kids' paths diverge. I feel like they all start in similar spots, and we get to know them so well and then we understand why they go in their different directions and we understand why cisco who is living with his stepfather and this prostitute and basically homeless goes towards drug dealing to provide some kind of uh economic self-sufficiency for himself and his family there's nothing assumed or taken for granted or again uh really stereotyped or vilifying about that these are real kids and with all of the complexities of of anyone, anyone's experience, but added on top of that, the pretty dire circumstances of living in a poor neighborhood in Cleveland. Um, I also, I mean, another thing that we were speaking about at the end of the movie was, is this a hip hop movie? That's something that I spoke about on Joe Ugly show on Monday morning when I came on to talk about this. And I went in thinking that, you know, this movie had been billed as uh, taking place in the kind of hip hop underground of Cleveland. And I thought that meant that kids were going to be getting in, you know, rap battles or aspiring to be rappers or something that the musical, um, the kind of spoken poetry of rap would make its presence more felt. And that I think of that as one of the defining characteristics of hip hop. But there's, I mean, there's maybe one very brief rap scene in which the kids recently having, you know, acquired a fair amount of money are celebrating with hot dogs and hamburgers and rapping into their phones. But this is not a movie about rap, and yet it still seems to be a movie about hip-hop culture. Do you, I mean, with a few days between now and, you know, when we saw the movie, do you think that this qualifies as a hip-hop movie, how you understand what a hip-hop movie is? Uh, and if not, what what did you find missing or different? 
Well, I, I think Joe's argument, and, and we should say to listeners who maybe don't know that Joe Ugly is the morning host of one of our sort of drive time shows. Um, Joe's argument was that it's uh, it's the sort of uh, aesthetic and you have to look at the idea of a hip hop movie holistically. And I think in, in that way, um, it, the movie is taking on a lot of the themes that we see reflected in American hip hop music, both popular music and uh, slightly more underground music and, and the history of hip hop music, um, not least of which is gentrification, which I think this movie deals with in a really beautiful, understated and not at all self-conscious way because there's a scene, for instance, in this high rise that you just know has come to Cleveland and jacked up the prices of everything else in the neighborhood around it. Um, so so I, I think that's absolutely true. But then also there's music. So there isn't making music and, and the boys aren't making music as they're skateboarding, but there's sort of music throughout. And I think in the, the pacing of this movie, it is kind of a musical movie. There's a certain flow to it. I think a lot of that comes from the lyrical nature of the skateboard scenes. And when the yeah, kids absolutely. are kind of floating along in the warehouses and they're doing handstands on their skateboard, they're doing flips and the camera is kind of flipping with them. Uh, it's one of the few light moments of the movie in that literally there's light filtering through the windows and we get to see light reflected upon their bodies, their skateboards, the room, everything else. I mean, most of the other scenes take place at night in, in some pretty heavy dark. But I, I love that is, I hadn't thought about that. The kind of musical, we talk about how other artworks have musical qualities and it's always a bit ambiguous, but I do think that there's something musical about the way that this movie tells these kids stories. Well, and, and there's also, I mean, the kind of very smart uh, scene where it, these kids are in the high rise. It's a party with with mostly white young professionals, but they're consuming rap music, right? They're consuming R&B. And in that they're kind of consuming and, and fetishizing a product that has been made by black people for the black community. And I see that we have a caller. Yeah, it looks like is that Kef the chef I hear just calling in? Oh, you may need to turn the volume up on your phone. Let's see. Kef, can you hear us? Yeah, man, I can hear you. Oh, wonderful. All right. That's great. Uh, you're actually you're calling in at the perfect moment. We were just moving from uh, from a discussion of the land onto hip-hop movies more broadly. So this is Kef the Chef. A, uh, am I saying that correctly? Yes, it's Kef the Chef. Yeah, Kef- okay, great. So calling in from Bridgeport. He's a Bridgeport-based uh, rapper and performer. Um, thank you so much for calling in. It's, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, you know what? Thank you guys. Um, I used to have a little college radio station over at Southern, so um, I needed a, I needed a good chance to reminisce, you know. Nice, nice. Well, yeah, you've, it's once once you get on the airwaves, it's tough to it's tough to give it up. So it's oh, yeah. <laughs> glad to have you back on. So we so we were just riffing a bit on on this movie, The Land, which is a new movie about four teenagers in Cleveland in the Tremont neighborhood of Cleveland, who are basically struggling to overcome some pretty dire circumstances. You've got this anarchic street violence. You've got uh, low expectations from teachers, from family, from friends. Uh, and then you have, you know, first and foremost, some pretty serious poverty. I mean, these kids, are they cannot afford to do anything that would help kind of make them feel as if they can aspire to something beyond their neighborhood or, or some way to elevate their neighborhood. And so... They turn to dealing drugs, they turn to gangbanging, they, t- they turn to even murder. And 
it describes not in a, a clinical way, but I think in a pretty empathetic way, um, you know, how someone can go from bad grades to stealing cars to, you know, to hustling, not because of any innate moral badness, but because of the circumstances in which they were born. And I wonder if just with that little bit of knowledge about the the movie, when you think about hip hop movies, Kev, do you think about um, that that trapped? I mean, this this movie it really feels as if these kids are are stuck in a rut, and there are beautiful things about their community, but there's also you know there's more about it that's trying to kill them than is trying to nurture them. Is that something that you feel like is innate to hip hop movies more broadly, or do you see yeah, this genre yeah. taking well, something something and doing something else with it? Yeah, because um, when we talk about hip hop and how it how it started, essentially. It started in the South Bronx, it, you know, right in the 70s when there was a lot going on. There was poverty everywhere. There was violence. You know, it was the start of what we're seeing today um, in a lot of these communities. And hip-hop grew itself from that. And so now we see, you know, kids in similar or you know, like situations using hip-hop to you know, even get them out of these situations at the same time. And when we talk about that movie uh, as a land, it's really interesting because, you know, as soon as these kids see an opportunity, you know, whether it be from a whole bunch of Molly or something, you know, it's that we see these kids take this opportunity and take it far, you know, and see how capable these kids are, you know, in that so often is that like we look at these kids as like, you know, they don't want to do this and they don't want to. And it's not that. It's like the problem is that there aren't, you know, the proper opportunities. And I think that, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, I think drug dealing definitely comes up a, a lot in hip hop movies. And I think the way that the movie represents, you know, drug dealing for these kids is that it's not necessarily a, a glorious enterprise. It's not something that they're really excited about, but it provides a certain amount of economic self-sufficiency, a way that they can, they can be independent. They can provide for themselves and their family in the way that, you know, they feel completely constricted by a school system that's saying, all right, you can be a mechanic or you can be a bum, you know, pick, pick one or the other. Mm -hmm. And not that there's, not that there's anything wrong with that type of manual labor, but when it's offered in such uh, dejection. It's tough for these kids um, to get excited about it at all. But one, I mean, one yeah. thing that I was, so this movie, when I went into it thinking about hip hop movies, I was expecting, you know, rap, that type of performance to be central to it. But there's really no rap in it whatsoever. It's produced by Nas. Uh, you have Erica Badu and Pusha T and uh, Machine Gun Kelly either acting or providing a lot of music for it. But ultimately, it's about, um, it's about skateboarders and it's about this, you know, growing up in these really difficult circumstances in, in the inner city Cleveland. And it made me think about hip hop movies a bit differently because it, I was thinking, all right, there's, there are going to be, you know, rap battles, but it was more about other aspects of hip hop culture, like the b-boying and b you know, like that, the physical freedom and mobility and kind of dance that is also so central to it. And is, when you think about hip hop movies, are you thinking about movies that focus on, the actual performance of rap, which is, you know, like your engagement with well, hip-hop, or is it other parts of the culture, too? And that's interesting that you mentioned that, because a lot of hip-hop movies um, are just like this movie, and that they don't necessarily center around, you know, a typical rapper trying to make it, you know, because that's like an eight-mile type of movie. Um, but something like this, um, it 
it represents hip-hop, you know, way beyond the music. It's not just about music. It's, it's how, you know, hip-hop is embedded, you know, within these children and, like, within these communities and what it means to them and what it really represents and that it's not just beats and rhymes and, you know, glitz and glam. It actually speaks to these you know, less privileged communities and children. And it tells their stories and it tells, you know, what they go through and where they came from. And that's where, you know, it all started. And it's it's really cool to see how it resonates like that still today as just a representation of struggle and a representation of, you know, perseverance as well. I, I think you are right on and identify and that's ultimately where I ended up on this movie too, in that there's you know, there's one scene towards the end of the movie, a kind of a, a climactic confrontation between two characters and it takes place in the projects. And we hear faintly in the background uh Nas's New York State of Mind from Illmatic. And even though that this is like one of the few, even though we get other, you know, hip hop music throughout, it's one of the few references to both the producer of the movie, but also to uh, you know, what's thought of as kind of a golden age of early 90s hip hop that was describing, you know, it was an artistic representation of similar circumstances as are being described in this movie. And I think that this movie is trying to do with the medium of film what Illmatic is trying to do with the medium of music for that neighborhood of Queens. It's describing a similar situation with a bit of remove, trying to survive and also kind of thrive in these very difficult circumstances. But that that was the the connection for me. I, I mean, that artistic representation of of you know similar kind of origin stories of sorts. But let's. I'm glad you brought up Eight Mile because let's talk a bit more broadly about other hip hop movies. I mean, when you think about hip hop movies, what are some of the first that come to mind? Either, either the best or the most representative. Or, when I what think do you turn to? Hip hop movies. You know, um, that's really funny that you ask me that because uh, I have one that's a personal favorite. It's not even really a good one. It's one called, um, you got served. It's actually, a, a dance movie and it's about a dance team, um, from somewhere around the country and they compete and they're all come from these horrible, you know, backgrounds and they all come together for this dance team. And then they end up going all the way and winning. And it has like, Omarion and all these people who are big, like in the early 2000s, and it's like a breakdance movie. And um, it kind of, like, it's it's like a different one. But to me, it's just a favorite because it's like a family favorite. You know, like me and my family would always watch, you know, like You Got Served. And, like, they made a sequel. The sequel was a lot worse. I didn't like yeah. it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, and then I think of the movie Wild Style, you know, old stuff from the 70s. And, um, and you know, like movies that really talked about like the origins of hip-hop like the graffiti and like people scratching their records and being like what are you doing with that record why are you scratching my record Definitely, and like just yeah seeing how this stuff you know was created um I, there are a bunch of movies you're right i'm glad you brought up wild style because there are a bunch of movies from the late 70s and early to mid 80s like uh beat street and beat street, Cru yes. crush groove i, I was watching last night um, Crush Groove, yeah. yeah but, German. These are classic movies. When my dad, he really, he's huge into hip hop. So like, as a kid, 
He made me watch Beach Street, made me watch Wild Stuff, made me watch all these movies. So, one, I mean, one of the things that I so loved about Crush Groove is, so this is from 1985, directed by Michael Schultz, and this is kind of the complete antithesis to the tone of The Land. I mean, if The Land is, is takes place almost entirely at night, it is all about, like, some very challenging and difficult and very somber circumstances that these kids find themselves in. Don't get me wrong, there's, there's some of that in Crush Groove, but this is about a record label and the the kind of joy of hip-hop, the celebratory nature of, like, discovering this this art form and, and presenting it, you know, to a national and international audience through the medium of movies. I mean, it follows... Run DMC, you have Sheila E, you have the Fat Boys doing all, all these great. It's, yeah. it's it's a musical where you know people just kind of break yeah. out into song and demonstrate hip hop. And there's there's kind of a documentary nature to a lot of those early '80s kind of first hip hop mm-hmm. movies. It's like this is what the art form is. Um, and man, there's something infectious about watching that stuff. It's it's just so fun. It's lighthearted, but it's also it it gets back to like the beginning of hip hop. It's like this is what this art form looked like at the very start. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's so important, especially for today, because, you know, seeing how hip hop transformed and I think about like rock and roll and how, you know, rock and roll started one way. And today it's probably I don't even know if that's even a genre anymore. You know what I mean? It, it It's like hip hop is still young, but it's also growing. And, you know, like you see the stuff from the 80s and it's like this is a lot different than what's happening now, you know? Without but a doubt. it's still two things that are hip-hop. And I think you have to grapple, I mean, when looking at early hip-hop movies, you have to grapple with the kind of inherently conservative nature of Hollywood and of a lot of kind of big, you know, mainstream movies in that they're not necessarily, I mean, it, it makes sense that this genre could not necessarily start with the bleakest of portraits and attract the biggest of audiences. You know, you have to kind of start with the, the celebratory stuff, the, the young, you know, fresh faces, the turntables, the new like ideas and beats. And it's all, it's like a very exciting moment. And then I think one interesting progression as we talk about, you know, how musical genres change over time, but thinking about the hip hop uh, movie changing over time, the next like big step I see is in the early nineties with a lot of quote unquote hood movies with like boys in the hood and juice and these movies, Juice. yeah, yeah. I and mean, do, do uh, those qualify as hip hop movies for you? Yeah, and you know what? Um, I was talking to my dad about this, and I was like, "Yeah, man." So I was just thinking of some hip hop movies, and then he said Juice, and I was like, "You know what? Juice and what those movies represent is like it's not necessarily a hip hop movie, but those movies mean a lot to hip hop culture in that a lot of artists and rappers make tons of references to these movies." And, like, these movies, like, resonate, you know, like, Boys in the Hood, you know, like, Paid in Full, um, Juice. Like, all these movies are movies that, like, mean so much to hip-hop. Uh, even Scarface, you know, Scarface is such a, a huge proponent of a lot of artists, you know, because everyone wants to be Tony Montana, you know what I mean? And, like, he's such, like, an icon, and, like, he represents, you know, the drug kingpin, you know, the epitome of it. And in a lot of hip hop, you know, drug trafficking is like a big part, you know, of of someone's style, of where they grew up, you know, in any which way. And so and without those a doubt movies are absolutely hip hop movies. I mean it's it's easy to see the connection between someone like Rick Ross and like the lavish style of, you know, his excess and ostentatious nature looking back to 
Al Pacino and Scarface as like a model for how one presents oneself publicly. But I'm so glad that's such an interesting idea of how the movies influence uh, the hip hop because I, you know, Juice, the, it follows four kids in Harlem in, I, I think, the early 90s, but one of the main actors is Tupac. So that's, again, one yeah. connection to hip hop. But also, the St. Omar Epps is an aspiring DJ, and we see him competing at various DJ competitions. And that is, you know, one of the four pillars of hip hop, right? We have the turntables, we have the, the scratching the records, we have Queen Latifah kind of overseeing this beautiful competition in, in like this warehouse in Harlem where everyone is just going crazy for, for these uh, DJ artists. Um, but when you, I mean, as, as someone who is uh, a rapper and musician yourself, do you find yourself influenced by hip hop movies? Do you find that filtering its way into your work or do you look to it mostly as a representation um, of what you do? Well, that's interesting. Um, as far as hip hop movies affecting my work, I can think of one and that's the movie, um, Belly. Um, it has Nas, DMX, um, a lot of rappers that were kind of big towards the late 90s. Um, and this movie actually was directed by um, a video director called Hype Williams, and he would shoot a lot of hip-hop music videos. So a lot of the movie felt like a music video. Um, and I'm 23, so um, you know, around that time, I would watch tons of movies with my grandmother, all types of stuff. Um, and we would watch that sometimes. And um, I'm not really directly affected by a lot of other movies, but this movie in particular, the just seeing Nas in it, um, because Nas personally to me is like greatest lyrical, you know, artist in hip hop history. And seeing him in a movie, you know, was just like huge to me because I've never even seen his face, you know, I saw like his baby face on like Illmatic, but I've never seen him in motion. And then like to see that and just seeing your favorite rappers in movies was just an eye-opening thing to me. Uh, and that inspired me to be like, you know what, I don't have to be just a rapper. You know, like if I like film, I could go out and try to act, you know. Because if you look at Will Smith and how he's been going back and forth his whole life, you know, he's been acting, music, now his kids are making music. And so um, as far as directly, I kind of take some movie references from a few other different places, um, not necessarily hip-hop movies, but they're still important to right. my, like, history and knowledge and just knowing of them and just, you know, seeing as to, you know, why this rapper loves this movie so much, you know, I want to figure it out why, you know. I, I think you're, I think you're just, your uh, discussion of, of Nas kind of making that transition, however momentarily, from musician to actor and how that affected you is, is, is uh, kind of an appropriate transition to a movie that you brought up a little earlier, which is Eight Mile, uh, which is, again, maybe another step in the progression of, or at least development of hip hop genre movie where you have, you know, at the center of it, the actor is the musician. All of the music is coming from, you know, the, the person about whom this semi-autobiographical story is being told. This is Eminem in mid-90s Detroit, uh, finding his way as you know a someone who lives in a, a trailer park outside of the city, trying to make a name for himself in the inner city kind of hip hop scene of Detroit. And this movie is all about. I and mean, when I think, I kind of think of this, whether rightly or wrongly, as uh, at least before I started prepping for this episode, as maybe a, a quintessential hip hop movie, in that it is all about 
rap battles. I mean, this movie is all about getting on stage with someone right in your face and spending, you know, 45 seconds doing the best you can to verbally, you know, dexterously diss them. And I know there's a lot more to hip hop than that, but I think that this really captures that element of hip hop in, I don't know, kind of an, an interesting and aggressive way. Uh, do you, do you like eight mile is, is, I don't even know if you I know like what? eight mile to be honest, I, but I love eight mile and I'm, <laughs> I uh, I honestly know every every battle scene completely by heart. I know both <laughs> sides, like both of their uh, raps and stuff. And I like even say them um, today all the time to my friend. And then looking at me like you're crazy, you know? <laughs> it's like why do you still know that? But it's just something about Eight Mile was just. Um, I'm also big into like black battles too, and I love to go on YouTube and check out, you know, people battling because like a lot of that is some of like the best lyricism that you'll get in hip hop today because a lot of it is such about, you know, like the image and things that are kind of away from the music. And, and so like a rap battle is just like no glitz, no glam. It's my words versus your words. And that's so cool about like eight miles that it was a home like movie you know, that it's like a gladiator movie, you know, but instead of swords, you know, we're going to use microphones and there's love and there's drama and there's comedy. It's this whole movie. And, you know, like the battlefield is a stage and like, it felt like a battle and it gives you that same feeling, but it's really just two guys using words, you know, to try to downplay one another. Yeah. I mean, when- I've seen that movie. Tons of times. I love that movie so much. When when you hear Eminem diss Anthony Mackie's character by saying that he went to the private school cram book, I mean, you could feel like the cut, just yeah. the cut against his body, it's right? Good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's There's a physical true, nature. Like, yeah. I mean, Lucy, I, I want to bring in the, my station manager, Lucy Gelman, for a second, as a Detroit native, yeah. as someone who watched 8 Mile with me a little bit <laughs> last night. Uh, tell me a bit about your thoughts on this movie. Um, well, I, uh, probably against my parents' better judgment, I think I saw 8 Mile, like, the year it was released. I'm pretty sure I was in, like, 7th or 8th grade, and it has a lot of, uh, of language that maybe a middle schooler shouldn't be consuming. Um, but 8 Mile is such a a weird and funny movie to watch if you're from Detroit. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many kids I knew growing up white kids who said, I don't like rap, but I like Eminem. And I don't know if that refrain uh, was any different in other parts of the country, but in Detroit where Eminem is from, um, it, I, I found it, I mean, as a kid, but even now I, I kind of found it troubling. Like, okay, so you're going to exclude the whole history of a really interesting, really vibrant movement, but you're going to uh, to jump in the story of Eminem, whose own work um, can be very violent, very misogynist. Um, so for me, the movie Eight Mile, I think the first time I watched it, and and now even being a little bit removed, is kind of about Eminem, uh, Eminem the character, but also Eminem the rapper, trying to prove that he has a legitimate place on the Detroit rap scene on the national rap scene that he fits into this ecosystem. Um, so, so that was really interesting to me that, that said, like, it's a fun movie to watch. It's fast paced. It's kinetic. 
Um, but there are also a lot. I mean, I was surprised by how many scenes were not rap battles. I mean, a lot of right. it takes place with him working in this stamp bumper factory in Detroit. Right? I mean, this is like just like Cleveland. This is a working class, lower working class guy in a post-industrial city trying to earn money, trying to channel mm-hmm. his own experience mm-hmm. into his music. And I think I mean, I think the movie really hinges on whether or not you find Eminem's you know, rap battle style, silly or endearing or actually moving. I think that sometimes it, I mean, sometimes it it can get a bit goofy, but I love the way that those fights are filmed because they really are. Yeah, totally. Um, then um, I'm afraid we're we're running. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I was going to say that we're, we're so close to the end of the show and and I'm sorry for uh, having to cut us off there, but I do want to get one more, um, kind of step along the hip hop genre or hip hop movie genre evolution, and that's with some of my favorite recent hip hop movies. Not just The Land, but last year's Dope by Rick Famuyiwa. I'm not sure if you saw that mm-hmm. one, um, and also Give Me the Loot by Adam Leone from 2012. And I think Dope in particular, you know these are nostalgic movies. These are movies that look back to a type of, um, and also, I mean, Straight Outta Compton. I think also falls into that looking back to the early '90s as a time that was really challenging, but also time when maybe the most politically and kind of socially and artistically revolutionary stuff was happening in this genre. Yeah, um, in those movies, um, I I didn't see the one you said before, but I did see Dope, and um, you know, like that movie even has a lot in common with the movie The Land, in that like they both kind of represent these kids, you know, trying to make it out of their, like, respective, um, you know, places, and, like, all centered around, you know, hip-hop music. I love the soundtrack in that movie, too. It's um, amazing. There's a lot of a tribe called Quest, and just a lot a lot of stuff, but but again, it's a much, it's, I don't know if lighthearted is the right word, but this is a movie that is having as much fun with uh, the genre, with the music, and with you know, the different strategies for survival in this area called the Bottoms in Englewood in L.A., as it is um, reflecting on how absolutely kind of dire the situation. It, I don't know. It balances the kind of comedy and tragedy of it, I think, in a pretty interesting way. Um, I'll say that again. I, I mean, I, I thought it balanced the the comedy and tragedy of what it's like to grow up in, like, a really desperate oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. poverty. And um, even, like, um, a lot of those older movies, you know, like, paid in full and even like new jack city um you know had like moments in them that were comedic but um you know always tried to keep the tone you know real definitely yeah i think that's i think that's the that may be a good place to end keep keeping the tone real and however you know you interpret that whether it's through something more lighthearted, lyrical or pretty dour there are a lot of ways to keep that tone real but I want Kef the Chef. Thank you so much for calling in. I so appreciate you. Participating. Thank you, guys. This was awesome. So where, I would love to come back anytime. Give me a call, man. Definitely. And where can, if people want to learn more about you, your music, where can they go on the internets? All right. If you guys want to hear some of my own music, you can check me out at um, soundcloud.com slash Kef the Chef. It's spelled Chef the Chef. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kef the Chef, on Facebook. Um, I got a band camp as well. Um, and yeah, just check me out on the internet. SoundCloud is my main place where I put all my music. I actually just put some new songs up the other day. Um, although my computer just broke on me again, I'm going to be a little out of order for a little bit, but I got like 50 songs up there. So it'll keep you uh, interested for sure. All right. Well, SoundCloud, search Kef the Chef and, and you'll hear some of 
Caps Music. And Lucy Gelman, thank you so much for participating. It's been a pleasure having you on the show as always. Thank you, Tom. All right, Caf, we will catch up with you another time. Have a great one, guys. All right. Uh, so this has been an episode of Deep Focus, uh, about a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and we have just been speaking with Kef the Chef and with Lucy Galman about the new movie, The Land, which takes place in inner-city Cleveland. We are going to close with a song by... I'm Johnny afraid. King, Johnny a, New King. Haven, a New Haven hip-hop treasure. Wonderful. And a, a great way to end the show. So, Johnny, if you're listening, this one's for you. Ooh. Mm-hmm.